welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Okay, so this is Irving on the... Oh my gosh, I don't even know what date it is. The joys of retired life. 17th of May in the afternoon. Now... I know before, I, all I've done is really come and talk to you about how to be a bad Christian. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of my message, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how to fail. <laughs> and How to fail and be okay at failing. That's kind of my core message, uh, which is great. <laughs> but I thought I'd probably come and try and teach you something. But even as I was walking up, Today, I kind of thought, I'm sure I don't really know anything about this subject. <laughs> so, <laughs> even when I'm going to try and impress you with teaching, I kind of realized that I've, I've thought about this subject for many, many, many years. And I realized that my thoughts and beliefs about what is going on here in this subject they're changing they keep changing and I'm sure I thought something different about this subject two years ago and so I'm sure I was I was teaching I was teaching pretty much the same but different bits of it were different it's about the trees in the garden and what they what's going on what are they what, why are they in the Bible and uh, <clears throat> I kind of always thought I knew, but uh, I just don't. But I think I know a bit. (laughs) So anyway, the point is this. I'm going to share with you where I'm up to at the moment in my understanding of these trees. And you can take out of this what you want. If anything touches you or clicks in your brains, well, that's okay, that's fine. Uh, if it doesn't, you need to understand that I thought I saw things a little bit different even as, as recently as two years ago. So it's okay to disagree with me. Uh, I disagree with myself. <laughs> so this, re- yeah, it's a funny way to start a talk, isn't it? But the reason it's funny is that because if you think about the beginning of the world, and, you know, the biblical account of the garden existed before man existed, according to the biblical narrative. And the trees planted in the garden there before there were even any men to record what was there. So how do we know what was there before there were even any men on the planet to record it? And I guess, you know, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? This is, this is where kind of liberal Christianity begins. Because the liberal view of the Bible is, well, it's kind of something that, which is just coalesced in the, in the cultural heart and mind of mankind 
as mankind has developed. Uh, so it's a. So the Bible has been a developing thing as mankind grew and uh, and started began to understand more how to. Uh, as mankind's ability to grasp different concepts changed and grew as we developed, so God reveals more and in different ways to speak to where we're at because it's a relationship he has with us and God's got a real lot of problems hasn't he because he is an infinite God a really big infinite God with infinite number of facets infinite number of ways of directions that you can look at him and he somehow got to try to communicate to us little you know you see these things on the internet don't you you know we're kind of just a speck on a speck on a speck on a piece of dust in the cosmos and all this is meant to make us feel incredibly small and the eternity of the cosmos the infinity of the cosmos so big and kind of make us feel like we're nothing well the I couldn't understand that, you know. Um, and in that sense, physically, it's true. But our importance, our importance in the universe is huge because God himself is choosing to communicate with us and actually choosing to share his life with us. That means that those infinitely small specks of dust that we are have infinitely huge importance. Uh, I don't know. I know I don't need to tell you all of that. But we're talking about, you know, it, very difficult to understand things. And so this Bible account clearly was something that came into the hearts of men after God had done it. A long time, I guess, after he'd done it. Some people just think it was only a few days after he'd done it. But, you know, I'm, I'm not getting into... I don't really want to actually get into the liberal, literalistic, fundamentalistic, different views of the Bible. But I guess my understanding of what these trees are and what the garden is and represents has kind of become bigger and richer as I've grown than I had when I than it was when I first became a Christian when I first became a Christian it was just a literal place God made a garden you know clicked his fingers and whoo, plants seeds and things uh, but now I I think it means much 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 more than that <clears throat> so I'm not I don't want to discuss really the literalness of it, but just how important it is, how important this story actually is. Because some people will say, well, just because it's a, a, an old adapted story from ancient Mesopotamia, I say, that's all it is, that's what some people say. And they, they thus reduce its value because God wanted this story in here. 2,000 years of holy people who've been really in touch with God have looked at this story and said, wow, 
this has got the hand of God on it. So it's kind of important. Anyway, there you go. If you read the story of the Genesis account, it's really interesting, isn't it? I'll read a little bit of it. Genesis 2, 4 to 9. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that God made the heaven, the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, blah, 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 blah. So we get it right at the beginning of the history of the world. We've got a picture being given to us of rivers and trees. That's the overriding picture, isn't it? Rivers and trees. Okay, so I just want you to get that in your, bra- in your brains. Rivers and trees right at the beginning. River bringing life to this garden and these trees, and two specific trees he mentions, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, two trees, two specific trees. Um, And then we have the fall. And you know the story of the fall, Satan comes and says to Eve well looks good that fruit if you eat that fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil you'll become like God and you'll know things and you'll be like God you know you'll be able to whoo um, it's interesting because previously God had said don't eat it because you'll die so God says, don't eat it because you'll die. And the devil comes and lies and says, ah, oh, yeah, eat it because you live. Uh, there's interesting, two interesting stories. And you know the results of the fall. I'll read some of it. Genesis three seventeen. Uh, Cursed is the ground because of you now, because you've done this. The ground is cursed because of you. You're going to work really hard to eat from the fruit of the ground. Now, all your life is going to be hard work. So, here we have a picture of the results of whatever this thing was. The results of the fall being now there's a kind of difficulty and separation. Man is struggling in his relationship with the environment and the ground having to work hard just to survive alright it's one of the results another one 
chapter 3, verses uh, 10 and 19. I heard the sound of you in the garden, Adam said, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Verse 19. God says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken your dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, decay, disease, hiding from ourselves even embarrassment, shame. That whole idea of, you know, there, there, there was, there, as a result of this way of life that Adam and Eve had chosen, they'd, they, they, they'd broken this relationship between them and their environment. They'd broken the relationship between them and themselves, their own health. Right? Suddenly, everything was decay. Uh... And later on, uh, 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from good and evil. And now, lest he... That's interesting, because that's what the devil said, wasn't it? Hey, if you eat this, you'll become like God. And God says, Wow! Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground, and he put a, an angel there so Adam and Eve couldn't get back to the tree of life. And all that that kind of amazing life in the garden kind of represented. And there we have a picture of real, fruitful vibrant life with God if you want eternal life okay so the fall led to this break between God man and his environment man and himself and his own health man and other men Cain and Abel came fairly shortly afterwards brother killing brother and a break between man and and eternal life itself right those are the results of this kind of fall and, and they, they get excluded from the Garden of Eden. So this, it's interesting because, you know, I, I used to think a lot about, you know, what does this thing, this angel with a flaming sword stopping Adam and Eve getting back into the garden, what it kind of, what does it represent? Um, and you, you can build all sorts of pictures in your head, you know, sort of why should God be nasty and prevent Adam and Eve, get him back to the tree of life. What? I mean, well, why should God want to do that? Uh, and he said, you know, ah, look, they've become like us, knowing good and evil. Oh, what if they get hold of the tree of life and live forever? Whoa, we've got to stop that. And I think you can, you can take your interpretations of that. You can go crazy with interpretations on that one. But I think what all I want you to see is the result at the end of the way that Adam and Eve had chosen to live was this separation and a real difficulty in getting back. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, 
you know, I've heard some people say, uh, yeah, I, I kind of hear some discussions, uh, and you'll probably read various books, which kind of say, well, look, even if men make loads of mistakes, surely, you know, after they die, and then when they see God face to face, surely nobody's going to resist the incredible love of God. When, when all this earth gets stripped away, and they look into the eyes of pure love, how can they eventually resist? So in the end, God's going to win all men back to himself. In the end. Love wins. You know the book I'm referring to. Maybe you don't. But anyway. But there are lots and lots of there are lots and lots and lots of stories in the Bible which seem to me to be very, very clear that you know, when God made angels, and he kind of made everything, and he made all sorts of spiritual beings, not just the ones that we can see, not just the physical ones. You know, he may have made physical beings on the planet Mars or some distant star in a different galaxy. Uh, for all we know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether such life exists or not. But he also, he, he also lives in this incredible, huge multi-dimensional, multifaceted spiritual world too. And there are lots of places in the Bible which gives us incredible hints about spiritual beings. The ones we know about, the words we kind of get given in the Bible to use are demons and angels. So, oh, hi Phil. Um, Ah, this is a good one because Phil's just entered the room and I know he sees this in a different way so you can discuss this with him sometime as well but I've got no doubt that these beings live in kind of spiritual world I'm sure they're eternal beings and yet they see they live in eternity and they see this God of love face to face and they don't even have the problems of all the temptations of, that this world gives to them. I mean, they don't have though that sort of stuff to pull them away. And yet, the Bible says a third of those fell too. Now, I know there are different interpretations on that. Uh, and you could have all sorts of stuff about where the demons even exist or where they came from. But, you know, for the record, I kind of believe they're there. And they're seeing God face to face in eternity. And they're saying no. So, as far as I'm concerned, it's possible to do that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of an interesting one. Um, but coming back to the story about the flaming sword, why would God want prevent man coming back and participating in the tree of life and having eternal life why would God want to prevent that has anybody got any ideas 
Let's make it interactive. I think it's just a harder life, you know, difference between good and evil. Well, so you think life kind of would have been harder for men yeah. if they'd had eternal life having fallen. So why does God want you to have it now? If it's going to just make life harder for you. Yeah, he wants uh, me to enjoy eternal life. And I think it's just necessary to die that I can get the eternal life God wants me to have. Well, yeah, I, I entirely agree. For the record, that's Marek saying that we kind of have to die in order to get eternal life. Well, here's an interesting... Uh, here's an interesting point. If God really didn't want us to get back to the tree of life and have eternal life, why did Jesus come? He kind of sent Jesus, didn't he? Bible says that Jesus was in the heart of the Father and this plan was there from the foundation of the world. Do you know that verse? Do you know the scriptures? I'm not sure I do. <laughs> I'm not sure I can remember where they're from. And the question is when, you know the answer to this, but when did Jesus die? The Bible says, you know, at the right time Jesus came. That's the right time in our history, isn't it? But you know that Jesus didn't really just die in our history. You know that, don't you? Because the book of Revelations, right at the end of the book of Revelations, it talk, we get this incredible vision given to John and this revelation that, in fact, the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. You know that. So, in fact, Jesus died before history began. Now that blows your brain away, doesn't it? And so his physical death was kind in, in our history, was simply at the right time for us in our history to comprehend. Man was just, for what, how, I mean, God, God knows that kind of these things and we just don't, we can guess at why in that particular time, God had, developed, God had got mankind just to the place where they were in the place to, to recognize what God was doing, what God was representing by the death of Jesus. But Jesus, in fact, was slain from the foundation of the world. In fact, this was an eternal event in the heart of God. So... You can kind of get lost in this. The, the, the eternal truths and the history running side by side kind of get you running around in circles. Um, but clearly, God's purpose was not to keep Adam and Eve away from the tree of life because Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world so that 
mankind could participate in the tree of life. Isn't that amazing? Anyway. Okay, I'm just, I'm just throwing weird ideas out at you, just to screw with your brains, really. Um, interestingly, <laughs> there's an interesting one about the apple, I'm sure Phil can tell you about this. The, uh, you know, just this whole idea of the fruit being an apple. It's just, it's just, it's just weird the way these ideas develop. Uh, do, do you know where the uh, do you know what the Latin for apple is? It's malus. So if you look at the Latin names of some of our apple trees, malus, John Downey, you know, crab apple, and uh, malus. But malus also means evil. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah. And so it was con- it was convenient for medieval minds who spoke in Latin and used Latin to think, ah, here we are, a word that means a fruit and a word that means evil. Oh, well, great. We put that together and suddenly the apple was born <laughs> in, uh, in our medieval history, uh, which is kind of, you know, interesting. Um, but were they real trees? The, 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 I think the question is kind of irrelevant. You know, you know, I love this. I love my Bible. I love Scripture. And I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that this is a truly inspired document from God given to us. And it's kind of... You kind of have to dig deep to find what it represents. But let's just look right back to the beginning and remember that there were trees, these two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life, and lots of other trees and rivers in the garden. Okay. Turn, let's, let's turn a bit later as, as, as Israel's, as God's, you know, developing his people and, uh, and building up an awareness of who he is and what eternal life is uh, as he's developing in this, in this people that grow up in this Mesopotamian area of the Middle East, right? And all of these, all of these creation stories, and and they they kind of suddenly adopting a certain creation story because it kind of it's beginning to mean something as God's as God's developing in their heart. They adopt one of these creation stories, of which there were many different types, but many very very similar. And as God's and as God's growing his you know awareness of Himself, suddenly they find they're leaning. To one and God's and God's interpreting it for them, right? And so they get hold of the Bible creation story that we have, right? And and they write it down. Uh, and and it, it deeply means something. It's like you're you're musicians, aren't you? You know what resonance is. Yeah, you know what resonance. And, and clearly, if we're made in His image, which He says we are. Then eventually, some of the strings in our hearts are going to start resonating to the things he starts saying. And they're going to resonate louder and louder and louder. And as God prepares his people, suddenly certain strings are resonating more than the others. And I would say, yes, I recognize this. It's a musical resonance going on in our souls to what God is saying. And we pick up on things. And, and, and in the heart of man, we recognize, yes, this 
feels more true than that because we, we're kind of... Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. Anyway, further along the line, a bit further along the line, prophet Ezekiel. Uh, try and find Ezekiel. Which books Ezekiel come after in the Bible there? Phil? Oh, here we are. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Ezekiel 47. You know this story? I'm not sure. You know the story of Ezekiel 47? Ezekiel's having a vision. Prophetic vision. Uh... And in the story, Ezekiel's having a vision of the temple of God, right? The temple of God, which represents God himself, right? And in his vision, he has this picture. Out of the temple flows a small trickle of water. You know the story? Uh, I'm going to, okay, I'll read it. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was coming from below the threshold of the temple towards the east. And the story is, there's a a trickle of water flowing from the altar. And this represents the life of God. And it starts flowing, and it flows out under one of the doors. South of the altar. And then he brought me out by the north gate and round the outside of the outer gate. And the water was coming out on the south side of the temple. So I went, I went, he went on eastward with a line in his hand and he measured a thousand cubits. A thousand cubits? Maybe half a kilometer-ish. And then he led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So suddenly, as the water goes away, flows out from the temple, it's getting deeper. Okay? And then he measured another thousand, another half a kilometer. And then it was knee-deep, as deep as the knees. And then he measured another half a kilometer, and he led me through the water. And it was up to my loins, that sort of moment when you go into the water. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, I won't, I won't make any fun. I won't make fun of this. Again, he measured another half a kilometer, and it was a river that I couldn't pass through, and it had become so deep that you know man could drown in it, and it was. And this, the picture here is this. The love of God is, is the love of God, infinite. But mankind's perception and ability to engage in this is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. As time goes by, God's showing himself more, revealing himself more. Man's engaging more. All right? That's what this river is. And... He said, Son of man, have you seen this? And listen to this. He says, Then he led me along the bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the banks of the river very many trees. On one side, trees. Look at that. Rivers and trees. Here we are. Remember? Rivers and trees. And he said to me, The water... (laughs) And he enters the stagnant waters of the sea, and the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature which swarms will live. In other words, he's talking about the love and the life of God flowing. And whatever it touches, lives, even if it was dead. Right? 
This is the love of God, which has been there for all eternity. And mankind is beginning to see it. Right? Earlier man was struggling to see, understand, perceive. But as history went by and God and, and those strings started resonating in the hearts of mankind, suddenly they're beginning to get hold of the fact that wow, life is in God. And it says, and, uh, and on the banks of this river, okay, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit won't fail because they'll bear fresh fruit every month. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So here we have trees of life growing on the banks of this river of life, giving life. So the question is, you know, what happened to the Garden of Eden? Well, I think Ezekiel's describing it. All right? I think, I think Ezekiel's describing it. A place where rivers come, the life of God is flowing, where trees are blossoming for food. In fact, I wrote a, a little poem about some seeds you know uh, as I just saw millions of seeds on the pavements I thought wow you know this is kind of what I'm talking about you know trees and which have seeds in them which give life everything wanting to give life to more life and somehow this is in the heart of God a God who makes a world out of dust stardust mud nothing a few basic chemicals and suddenly he's creating life and wanting life to give birth to more life and more life and, and grow that life within us. It's kind of, wow, what a rich story. What a rich, what a rich thing that we're beginning to understand and engage in. Anyway, that's a story in Ezekiel. Great story. Uh, and it was... Uh, it was a, a, a prophecy which was very, very powerfully important to the Jews. Uh, and as uh, the Jews underwent various trials and struggles, they would keep hold of these prophecies. God's life is going to keep growing, keep growing. And until Jesus' day, and they had, uh, they had a feast Feast of Tabernacles, where they, uh, where they remembered the time in the wilderness. You know when they would have to make booths and tabernacles and shelters, and they had a feast which where they represent where they rec remembered this. And uh, Jesus turns up to Jerusalem one day, and it's just right at the end of that feast. And uh, in this feast, and uh, the story is in John eight. In this feast, what happens is that the priest gets hold of some water, which is regarded as holy water, and he pours out. Uh, oh, oh, beforehand, what they've done, they, they've dug a little channel in the floor of the synagogue, right, in the floor of the temple. 
and they've dug a little channel which gets a little bit deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and it flows out under one of the doors and what the priest does he pours this water out at the base of the altar and he keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out until this channel fills up and the water flows out under the door you can see which story they're doing they're just playing it's like they're doing a play of the story and this represents you know the love of God which is going to keep going and keep going even in the midst of all our troubles which are many yeah the love of God and the and the life of God is going to keep flowing we are going to survive right so come back to Jesus Jesus goes to Jerusalem and uh, yeah Phil, oh, it's good job I've got my reference book behind me. Phil, which bit in John 8 is it? Oh, ah, Jesus going to the uh, last day of the feast and when he says, Come to me if you're thirsty. Yes, John. 24, is it? No, much earlier. 15, 14. I've probably got the wrong verse. Come on, guys, help me out. No, it's okay. Google challenge for you guys. Yeah, it is a Google challenge. Quick, before people listening to this get really bored. Oh, it's obviously not Johnny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, John 7. Is it John 7? Yeah. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Phil. John 7. Ah, here we are. Just one verse to one chapter too late. Oh yeah, here we go. John 7, 37, we finally got there. I'm sorry for that long delay on the tape there. You could edit that out if you want. On the last, John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed. Now this is the day, the last day of the feast, when the priests were doing this pouring out the water and the water flowing out. Okay, so everybody was waiting for the water to flow out under the door of the temple. And Jesus comes and does this. He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. <laughs> he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Isn't that amazing? Now, the meaning of that would be clear to anybody who was hearing Jesus. The Jews, the leaders, the prophecies all say that, you know, the, the, this, this life, this river of God 
is going to just keep flowing out from the temple of God. And Jesus says, if you come to me and believe in me, what will happen is out of your heart will flow those rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, you are the temple. God himself, who inhabits the temple, lives in you. And those rivers are flowing through you. Now remember, these are the rivers Ezekiel talks about. Rivers, trees of life. Okay? Fast forward to the end of the Bible. Actually, the last book of the Bible. When Jesus is talking about... the end of time when God is creating a new heavens and a new earth and and the times are coming to their conclusion he's also talk, he's talking about the end of time but he's also talking about now the the revelation given to John was really about now as well and John says this he says then he showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal this is right at the end of the bible flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. These are virtually the exact words that Ezekiel wrote in his prophecy. So Ezekiel was clearly talking about this river of life, trees of life. So here we are, right at the end of the Bible, when Jesus is talking about the fulfillment of all things, the end of time, but the fulfillment of all things. And he's clearly, I keep saying Jesus, I mean, this is God speaking through John. He's talking about rivers of life and the trees of life. They're right there in Ezekiel. Jesus was saying that out of our hearts these rivers and trees of life are going to flow. It was right there, rivers and trees of life, right there in the Garden of Eden. This is the history of man. The Bible's talking about this is our history, this is our life. The Garden of Eden represents something. What happens? What does it look like? What's life going to look like? When we live only from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, depending upon what view you have of the way mankind develops, you know, you kind of, you kind of think of, okay, you know, if we were cavemen at one point, hunting whatever, whatever, whatever sauropods or whatever type of animals were around at the time, man, it would have been a hard life, wouldn't it? man really having to fight for his existence in a really hard world the early chapters of Genesis tell us it's going to be like that you're going to struggle you're going to be you're going to be struggling even to survive right because you kind of choose to live in this particular way living from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil only without reference to the tree of life 
tree of knowledge of good and evil. What do you think the fruits of that tree are? I guess you've you've had teachings on this, have you? Yeah, Sarah did a bit, didn't she? Yeah. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's good? It's judging all the time, isn't it? It's a tree of judgment. Judging on, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Living from that tree. Uh, is it just? Is it unjust? And, and what emotions come from that? Somebody does something to you. Ha! They've done something really unjust. My judgment is that they've been very unjust towards me. What sort of emotions come spring from that? Angry. Anger. Consequences. Revenge. Hatred. And, you know, certain things. But the question is, can we live without this knowledge of good and evil? I mean, if I just came and slit Josh's throat, for example, with the penknife that's attached to my keyring, which I could, I could do. I actually could, well, I could try. I think he'd probably fight me off. Mm. But I could have a try. And what happens if I succeeded? You'd go to court. I'd go to court. Probably go to prison. Almost certainly go to prison. If I learned in the southern, lived in the southern states of America. Death penalty. I might even get, yeah, the death penalty, right? Yeah. But the point is, you would try to stop me doing that to him, wouldn't you? you guys, I'm assuming you guys would. <laughs> you tried to stop me killing Josh. Why? I don't think they would, actually. <laughs> Why would you try and stop me killing him? Because it's not right. <laughs> Absolutely! It's not right. You know right from wrong. Yeah. You, you've been eating from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, haven't you? You bad boy. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. You're not a bad boy. You're a good boy. Because this, this knowledge of good and evil is in the heart of God anyway. Isn't it? I mean, I used to think that this tree of the knowledge of good and evil was something really dreadful that they shouldn't be eating from. But, I mean, how could we live without it? Well, we could have back then because the... It just wouldn't have, have entered our consciousness, would it? To kill someone else, because we wouldn't Yeah, need... I mean, if, if we were completely living a perfect yeah, life yeah. and were experiencing total perfection and had no bad desires, yeah. we wouldn't need law, would we? No. We wouldn't. It's like when all your needs are met. Do you know a single person who lives that way? After all these thousands of years of God impregnating the hearts and mind of man with an awareness of himself, do you know anybody who lives 100% like that? No, no. Absolutely nobody. And whether, you know, however you see the fall, there's no doubt that what, what, there's no doubt whatsoever that this is the heart of man. And this is what life would look like without the tree of life. 
I mean, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is just shot through. It's, it, it, it's all the way through our society. We have, because the, we are who we are, we have to know good from evil. We, we make laws. I mean, some people will interpret things differently. I mean, it might be okay to, to shrink the head of your, your opponents if you lived in Sumatra or somewhere at some point in time. And uh, it might be okay to have multiple wives in one culture and not another. But by and large, there's this, these, this resonation, this resonance, isn't there? These strings resonating in the hearts of man. We know good from evil. We know right from wrong. That's because we're made in his image. And this is just what mankind is. We, we can't really live without this stuff. Uh, and the point is, what would life look like if we eat only of that tree? Well, we've said so, haven't we? Punishment, revenge, paying back, people trying to control each other so they won't do anything nasty to them, so we do nasty things to them instead by controlling them to make sure they don't do nasty things to us. Wars begin and, and life is kind of hell on earth. When we live only from the fruit of that tree. And I kind of think that that's why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not really mentioned after first chapters of Genesis it's extraordinary because God knows all too well that this is just us this is us it's part of us we know it's part of us we don't need to be taught this stuff we don't need to be given this stuff it just is part of who we are so that makes sense mm. but you look in the Bible and you see God speaking Teasing, wooing, educating, loving his people to get to the point where they understand, wait a bit, there is access to the tree of life. Ezekiel talks about it. Jesus talked about it in John 7. The book of Revelation, right at the end of time, talks about this tree is flowing in the hearts of men. Right. So I'm just painting pictures. That's all I'm doing for you. Just painting pictures and an understanding of what this, uh, what I think is a beautiful picture in the books in the early chapters of Genesis of the Garden of Eden, right there tree of life, the rivers of life right through our, or our earliest origins and they never disappeared right, the way we cho the, the way we've grown as people in our early years of mankind meant that we kind of were living only on the fruit of one tree the tree of knowledge of good and evil but as, 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 as he's grown us, as he's incubated us in this incubator which is the planet Earth and the life that he's given us to live. He's slowly grown, slowly, progressively revealed himself to us more and more and more till we got to the point, till at the right time, Jesus could come and people would look 
and recognize whoa, what this represents. It represents the eternal, amazing, sacrificial, self-giving love of God which he's had in his heart for us for all time. Jesus died from the foundation of the world, but at the right time in our history, when we were ready to somehow build it into our understanding of who God was, then he came in our history. So we could more and more consciously participate in this river of life and have these trees of life. They, they live within you because you live in Jesus and you now recognize that you were in him from the foundation of the world. The Bible says in another place, you were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. Same language. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. You were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. You were in him even before history began. How weird is that? Let that screw with your brain. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Anyway, all pictures. The cross was always an eternal act and decision in the heart of a loving father who knew that he would have to sacrifice himself. I mean, who who feels all the pain? of all the, everything that his children are going through as he sees them in the palms of his hand in this eternal now as he looks and he sees all the suffering the killing and maiming of people the death of innocence and all of that who is really paying that price? well we kind of suffering in the middle but it's in his heart he's paying that price too saying look I made this creation this is all happening I know what's happening I know what's happening I know what's going to happen even as I'm making it because I'm seeing it happen because I'm seeing it all now I'm responsible for this all of this and I'm going to sacrifice myself for all of this I'm going to create the solution for all of this and eventually provide the solution to enable mankind to share in my life an impossible task and yet he's done the impossible by sacrificing himself for us and it was an eternal act an eternal decision we kind of experienced it in our time in our timeline on the planet Jesus died 2,000 years ago but before Abraham was I am Jesus is he's kind of now all the time I'm probably not making very much sense. You are, you really are. I'm I'm probably driveling on and on and on. But the whole of... This just tells me that we have an incredibly eternal, amazing, unbelievably loving Father who for all time has planned us and had us in his heart and has done whatever it took. And things had to play out in history. Yes, of course they did. So we have past, presents and futures. But it's all now for him. And those rivers of life that were in the Garden of Eden are flowing in your hearts. Those trees of life, that tree of life, which represents the life, the, the, everything that gives life is flowing in you. 
flowing in your heart, it's flowing out of you, touching other people. That's why you need to be with other people. You know? That's why that's why we evangelize because other people need the life that's in you. So go flow. <laughs> go flow. Go do what God's made you to be. God, do what God's made you to do. You are the trees of life. You are the rivers of life. That's who you are. Jesus made it possible for you to be that. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Destiny Podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.au.